A logistics executive returns to the U.S. to find the market more competitive and demanding than ever before. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, executive editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Jeffrey Berry has a long history of managing operations for logistics service providers with an emphasis on expedited and small package deliveries. Among his previous positions is Senior Vice President of Sales with Bax Global, which was acquired by D.B. Schenker in 2006. Now, after years working Germany, Berry is back to serve as Chief Executive Officer USA with D.B. Schenker. He finds a competitive landscape that's familiar in its complexity, yet altered by new technology and the ever-increasing demands of customers in the age of the Omnichannel. Today we'll find out how Barry views the current market, what customers really want, how technology is impacting access to critical shipping and order data, how the logistics labor force is being transformed, and what the future might hold for shippers, logistics providers, and consumers. So here is my conversation with Jeffrey Berry. Jeffrey Berry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So you spent some time in Germany for a little while, and now you're back in the U.S. Uh, as CEO USA of D.B. Schenker. I'm wondering, now that you've come back to this part of the world, what changes you've seen in the transportation landscape here versus what it was before? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is that it's surprising at times when you come back into a market, I'd say there's that element of, wow, there's a lot that's still the same. But there are a lot of things that have changed. And I would point out a couple of things that I've seen specifically, and, and maybe they're not specific to the U.S. market, but they are specific relative to the business that we're in. And they would be that the increased availability of transparency regarding logistics data, so shipping data, and how that's being leveraged is really becoming a powerful asset in the transportation business. In addition to that, the introduction of platform players and technology players that are competing in the space is an area which has really evolved since I departed eight years ago. And the final part that I'd say is probably the challenge that is in the U.S., which is still, I would say, a little bit unique, is the attraction, the development, and the building of talent within the U.S. organization in a market where you have a 3% unemployment rate is a specific issue and challenge in the U.S. market. How does transportation in the U.S. differ, if at all, from that in Germany and Europe as a whole? I think that there's a lot of similarities, so I don't want to speak that they're dramatically different. I think you've got size and scale topic that are different. You still have a lot of niche players uh, in both markets, so there's similarities that exist there. I would say in the ground transportation business, one of the larger differences that I see is that there is still room for the forwarders in the brokerage model in Europe. And obviously that's been much more shifting towards platform players and pure operators in the U.S. market. So that would be one difference that I would point out that is noticeable upon returning to the U.S. You know, there are obvious geographic differences, differences of distance between destinations and origins. That's always been the case, of course, between the U.S. and Europe. Europe is more compact. But still, does that in any way affect the manner of transportation services or the nature of service? 
No, no, I don't see that as a big difference. I'd say the distribution models that we see of using the major hubs for air freight and sea freight and then distribution either via road or by intermodal means is a pretty common place even in Europe, maybe even more advanced in its usage. Again, I'd say similarities, but the geographic reach and the times and some of the challenges regarding those operations may differ slightly, but nothing to point out that's dramatic. Now, you pretty much spent your career in the world of highly time-sensitive delivery, going all the way back to your time with Bax Global and the like. And yet now we see an even more concerted effort to ensure quality in the so-called last-mile sector. Do you think it's more demanding now? Do you think it's even tougher and more challenging than it was back when you were doing this years ago? I'm not sure that it's more challenging. What I see is that the demand of the customer in the business has changed. I like to use the term that there's a convergence of expectations. So people have a personal experience when they order online or they use an Uber or any type of platform player that they get a confirmation, they know when the vehicle or the, or the service is there, they get a receipt on demand, they get a POD on demand, and they have all of these personal experiences that they have in their private life. And that has converged with the expectations that customers have in their business life. So I'd say that those things have become quite challenging. So I'd say the private sector experience is potentially more advanced than it is in the B2B market. But the expectation of the clients is kind of moving from what they have at home to what they want at business. And that's an area where I think all of us can do a lot better on creating the transparency and increasing the visibility and the experience for our customers in their business life. I would say that that's really driven by what they experience at home. Of course, you then have congestion and other topics that come into play. You've got an increase in demand in e-commerce. That puts stress on final mile delivery. You're dealing with urbanization, so you're looking at distribution centers coming into place, which are closer now to maybe some of the larger urban centers. And a lot of that is trying to create that customer experience, which is far more predictable than it was in the past. So I'd say there's a combination. Speed is one topic, but predictability of delivering when you say you're going to deliver is also important. And those two things do at times get traded off. So I would say a customer may say, look, I'll accept a 48-hour delivery by 20, but instead of 24, but I really expect that 40-hour to work. So I'd say that's an area where I see some shift in the demand on delivering with specificity and accuracy. It feels a little bit like a chicken and egg situation because on one hand, the providers offer the possibility of faster delivery and greater visibility. And then buyers and consumers in turn demand faster delivery and greater visibility, which in turn forces providers to up their game even more. It just seems to be this cascading thing where it just gets tougher and tougher based on the availability of the service and the expectation that service is going to be there. Correct. And of course, the expectation all comes with still a heavy dependence on what vehicles are available, what drivers are available, what automation in warehouses upstream is available. So all of those things sort of impact from the very last minute when the customer receives that delivery, but even the further back upstream activities are impacted by that as well. And when we look at the congestion that's on the roads today, they're significant. The availability of drivers is a challenge. But you start to see now some more innovative technologies and ideas coming into place regarding crowd-based solutions for delivery that is not only just private users using their own vehicles, but companies can subscribe into this. So they may have a business that runs during the day and they can subscribe that vehicle to be a delivery truck for another business at night. So I think there's areas where we're trying to look at ways to decongest the market using existing 
idle resources versus adding more vehicles on the road because vehicles is one topic, drivers is another. Well, what about the basic question of capacity these days, freight capacity available out there, and also drivers? Of course, we have long talked about there being an endemic driver shortage and warehouse labor too. Where are we on those areas right now in the U.S.? It's pretty well known, right, that in the next five or six years, there's going to be well over 150,000 driver shortage in the U.S., In the labor market in contract logistics, it's the same challenge. You have a high demand for blue-collar labor. You have an unemployment rate, which is in conflict with that, the high 3% range, and that is a significant challenge. Many of the items that we're having to work on is, again, how do we attract people and, and what mediums do we use to attract talent? How do we train them? How do we retain them? And how do we develop them? And I'd say that those areas have really become areas of significant investment. And we've had to really challenge ourselves to not only use the traditional ways of hiring and recruiting, but how do we create a culture and attractiveness as an employer to give career pathing an opportunity for people who can enter in in one position and develop their career in the company. And all of that with the background of a low unemployment rate and escalating salaries and customer demand very high. In addition to your usual employee base, can you also draw on the growing supply of gig workers and crowdsourced workers for the platform providers and the like? Can you use those and incorporate those into your service offering as well? We use a variety of technology platforms today to do sourcing of drivers and equipment. And some of that is contracted, where we have them on a contracted basis. Other times it's using them on demand. But even in the contracted space, you have with a lower supply and a higher demand, you also have contracted carriers who are not showing up. Their reliability is shifting because they want to play in the in the open market, the spot market, because it's more lucrative for them. So we are trying and, and using different technologies to have the widest pool possible relative to equipment that we we can use to satisfy our clients and our our delivery requirements. And at the same time, we have also tested some technology on securing labor in our warehouses, testing some technologies on giving people an opportunity to do part-time work or partial hour work on a much more flexible schedule. But some of those things are great. And other parts of it is there's, again, complexity around security and background checks that have to occur in order to make that work and do that in a manner which is compliant with our own operating regulations that we have for our employees. I would say there is, we have not found yet the complete solution there, but we are continuing to partner and test different ways to augment that capacity demand. Now, you alluded to the growing urban congestion that we're facing these days, mm-hmm. and indeed, we are seeing the coming of like million square foot warehouses in places like the Bronx all of a sudden because of the need <laughs> for proximity of distribution to the f- final customer. Is that a workable, even viable model? How are we going to cope with that? And Because it only looks like it's going to get worse. And on top of that, we have cities imposing congestion surcharges for entering the main part of the cities during certain parts of the day. I mean, how can you yeah. deal with that situation? It's a tricky one, right? I'm not sure whether just moving the DCs closer to the cities is the right solution because, again, we're dealing with a lot of cities doing all of the things that you just mentioned. What we see coming out of it is, I would say, some things which I find personally I find very attractive, which is the movement and the mentality of some of the retailers shifting from, hey, I want my delivery truck from my DC to replenish my store at 6 a.m., every day of the week, and I have to be the first drop, so I use a dedicated vehicle, even though that vehicle may be only utilized 40%. And much more open discussions around how can we partner with other retailers who are doing work on the same streets as we are, and how do we optimize the vehicle? And that may mean that we compromise and on 
every other day we take a delivery at 8 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. So we do see now a much more heightened awareness in certain segments of the retail sector where there's an open mind and an awareness of saying we have a responsibility to do things relative to congestion, noise pollution. We have to look at other types of vehicles that are more friendly to our cities. And also that openness about saying, well, and maybe the uniqueness of having our own personal truck is not the differentiator. And we can, can we re-engineer our supply chain in order to make sure that we can leverage capacity that's on the road and not add to the challenge, but help solve it? And I think that's an area where there's still a tremendous amount of potential. I'm certainly not a proponent of more vehicles is the solution. I'm more of a proponent of let's use technology and other modes to make sure the vehicles that are on the road are fully used. And I think there's a lot of appetite in the market to do that. And if you do that, can you then satisfy customer demands for the latest iteration of a service quality, and that is same day and sometimes even one hour? And if you do that in an urban congestion area, let's say one household somewhere in the middle of a city yep. wants something an hour from now, that's not yep. a very efficient way to deliver product from the standpoint of the service provider. Given that the solutions that you're suggesting we look for, can that level of service be maintained and provided? I don't know that there's going to be one solution. I think it's going to be layered. The good part is, is today there's a lot of work being done, especially in the e-commerce space, regarding predictive analytics. When you talk about forward-loading stock, right, and you say, well, we're going to have these SKUs that are going to be available for delivery in this urban city within one hour of point of delivery. The selection of those items is based on a lot of data that are saying these are the items that are ordered more frequently. So the forward-loaded stock is somewhat based on some predictive analytics, so they, they know that there's a, going to be a demand in those areas. I think there's an element of that which will continue to evolve, but it is not as if they're randomly putting inventory close to the consumer. It's really happening off of intelligence that they have and knowing that there's buyer behavior that will pull that inventory, because ultimately there's an inaffordability and also a space issue on trying to find the size of a full-blown warehouse in any major metropolitan area. But forward-loading stocks closer to the urban areas, we see it today. Well, that really sounds like a job, as you say, for artificial intelligence and the like. I want to talk more about technology. You alluded to that as a solution and also as a perhaps answer to the labor situation, the use of robotics within warehouse, the use of autonomous vehicles in years to come, the use of drones. Yeah. Which of those do you think are really interesting and potentially exciting opportunities to address some of these issues through technology? Certainly, D.B. Schenker is exploring a variety of different automation technologies, and depending on the markets in which we operate, depending on the labor cost and the availability, we make decisions based on what's appropriate in which market and when can we deploy it. It also has a lot to do with the investment that's required to make those decisions and also partnering with our clients at times, which can be that if we're going to make the investment in the automation technology, can we any longer work on three-year contracted agreements or do we need to look at the return on the investment that we're making and some of those contracts get extended out further? What we do see is that there's a lot more interest, in, certainly in the U.S. market, on exploring the automation side. We're certainly doing it in our own space and a lot of that is driven off of the idea around the balance between where we are with labor and then how do we satisfy the increasing demand and velocity in those warehouses and do that consistently with the volatility that you have in the labor market. And automation is clearly an opportunity to offset that. 
The other part would be in the transportation business, which is using a lot more robotics now to do a lot more of the mundane tasks. So there's a certain amount of, you will, paper processing or electronic processing to create shipping documents, which for a long, long time in our industry was done in a completely manual way. There's a lot more RPAs and robotics that we can put against that to do the setup of files electronically. And all of those items allow us to work on our productivity. So those things are increasing in demand dramatically, and we're putting a lot of effort into those because ultimately to scale our business to the way that we would like it, it cannot be just on the back of a traditional business model. But I'm betting that people are still going to be a major, if not the major element, and you're providing service for at least the next few years to come, right? Actual human beings, flesh and blood. I think there's plenty of YouTube videos regarding automation in warehouses, and some of those things are real and they're happening. There's plenty of documented evidence and videos around about autonomous vehicles doing deliveries and test cases that are underway, and the same with drones, right? So I think all of those things are are there, and we have to expect that those are the things of the future. The other end of that spectrum is, of course, that we have plenty of instances where we maybe have a first outsourced warehouse from a client and the automation is Excel and it's spreadsheets. There's still a lot of maturity and a wide range of expertise in logistics today. We often talk about the front-end leading side. There's a long tail of just getting the basics right and bringing it into current, which would put a lot of improvement into the customer's experience. Just to bring this back around to the idea that you've come back to the United States and you've re-entered the U.S. transportation market, you've come back to a market that is very crowded and is consolidating rapidly with just a few players. And on top of that now, of course, we have Amazon itself making additional encroachments into providing its own delivery service, which is a great concern to some of the dominant package carriers and the like. I guess the challenge is you come back here and you look around and you say, is there room? How do we make room for myself or my company in this crowded market? Do you consider that to be a challenge? Schenker has a very strong position in the U.S. market. We have over 8,500 employees. We have a robust business covering a variety of different business sectors, but there's still plenty of opportunity for us. So we still have, in the way of brand recognition, a strong brand position. We have lots of customers who are approaching us to expand our business, do more business with them, and also extend our services beyond what we do today. We do see a couple of segments of the market where there's potential for us to enter in to new segments. And in addition to that, I'd say maybe the shorter term opportunity is these adjacent markets where we do a portion of the business today, but there's another element of the business, so an extension of an existing operation, which another provider does today, where our customers are pushing us to do more. And of course, we're moving now from being pushed into saying, where are the areas of real opportunity and how do we drive those ourselves to be much more dominant in a couple of different areas? That really does go into play both in transportation and in our contract logistics practice. It just seems to call for a level of creativity that's unprecedented in transportation services up to this point. But in any case, Jeffrey Berry, uh, I want to welcome you back to the U.S. and wish you, you all the luck in crafting your services in this new, exciting, and ever-changing transportation environment. And I want to thank you so much for spending time to talk to us today. Thanks a lot. Very much appreciated, and thank you for the time. That was my conversation with Jeffrey Berry of D.B. Shanker USA, talking about the changing market for logistics providers and their customers. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. 
Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.